0: For Jeremiah Horrocks, details were his aim, to understand the workings of the cosmos. He was not content to know the theological account of all that is, as far as observation would allow, and reading, he determined to explain the ways of God within the vast creation. As he wrote, It is most true that God's will is the cause of everything, but resting in such generalities will mean the death of all philosophy. Welcome to the Inverse Theology Project. I'm T.M. Moore. This is Volume 5, Number 2, Creational Theology. I'd never heard of Jeremiah Horrocks until I came across his name in an anthology of writings by early natural philosophers. Some years after that, when the transit of Venus occurred, his name was in the news and on the web, and I thought I should make some effort to learn more about this 17th century English vicar astronomer. His story is encouraging but sad, and it is the focus of this installment of the Inverse Theology Project, and is entitled Ray of Dawn. Thou God of truth, whose certain laws direct the starry spheres, whilst all the powers above admire and tremble, the projected earth rolling along its planetary path hath learned to hail thy triumph. And this age enables mortal eyes in thy great works to view thee nearer and with nobler thought. So wrote an English vicar to extol the glory, wonder, beauty, power, and truth of God, who showed himself in one brief ray of sun cast through a telescope upon that vicar's wall, as one small planet in our solar system made its rare but sure and hitherto unseen conjunction with the sun. For Jeremiah Horrocks, this the culmination was of many years of study, observation, careful thought, and calculation, as he gave himself to God and to astronomy, that he might trace the stars whose order proves them thine. While yet at Cambridge, working to become a priest, he first began his studies in astronomy entirely on his own. No course of study then existed in his native land, and there was not then an observatory anywhere throughout all England. So he turned to books. Moved by all things sublime and naturally inclined to speculation, he took great delight in contemplating all the works of God that pleased him and that activated his quick mind. The stars, the planets and the sun, the moon, and other shining lights high in the heavens captured his attention. He desired to learn as much of them as he could on his own. It seemed to me, he wrote, that nothing could be nobler than to give myself to contemplate the wisdom of my great creator as displayed amidst such glorious works. He longed to feed upon their beauty and to know their causes by more careful observation of them all. The obstacles were many. Books were hard to come by, and he had no mentor, no one to encourage him or help. And he was poor. He was dispirited at first and by the weariness and languor which the work provoked. He wrote, "'What then was to be done? I could not make the enterprise be easy or increase my fortune, and the least of all encourage others with a love for astronomic studies.' Yet complaining of philosophy because it is so difficult is foolish and unworthy. I determined, therefore, that the tedium of study should be by much labor overcome, my poverty by patience, and instead of one to teach me, I would turn to books. For me it was a pleasure meditating on the fame of these great scientific masters and to emulate them in my work. It was the early 1600s, just before the dawn of science's new day, and though he was a priest with all the duties that entailed, he studied diligently and began to write about his findings. He wrote several learned dissertations and some tracts, though none was published, to point out the errors in contemporary thought regarding matters astronomic. Soon his observations led him to improve his thinking about lunar theory. He identified the orbit of the moon around the earth as an ellipse. He was the first to make this observation. And in doing so, he set the basis for Sir Isaac Newton's work on gravity. For Jeremiah Horrocks, details were his aim, to understand the workings of the cosmos. He was not content to know the theological account of all that is. As far as observation would allow in reading, he determined to explain the ways of God within the vast creation. As he wrote, It is most true that God's will is the cause of everything, but resting in such generalities will mean the death of all philosophy. The scriptures set the framework and showed how to think about the cosmos, Horrocks thought, but both books, Scripture and Creation, are essential for obtaining as complete an understanding of our God and all his ways as he is pleased to grant to us. His work paid off. His studies of the moon alone, wrote his biographer, suffice to give him a secure and lasting place and reputation horrocks turned his mind to learn of comets also and he was the first to undertake a study of the ways of tides But most important for the course of science were his studies on the transit of the Sun by Venus. He predicted it for 1639, though other eminent astronomers like Kepler favored 1631. The transit of the Sun by Venus comes when that small planet crosses the Sun's face such that it can be seen from Earth. No one had ever witnessed the event, and none predicted it till Horrocks. It cannot, of course, be directly viewed. Horrocks planned an indirect approach, committing this and all his work to God. He wrote, May he, the God of all astronomy and the conservator of every useful art, bless my unworthy efforts for the sake of his eternal glory and his name, and for mankind as well. His plan involved a dark room with a smallish window, through which he would aim his telescope to catch a single ray of sunlight. On the wall, he placed a circle in diameter 6 inches, which he marked off like a clock 360 minutes, which he then divided further into segments to plot Venus progress once it had appeared. On Sunday, 24 November, in the year of our Lord, 1639, he set his telescope to catch a ray of sun and have it strike his diagram a perpendicular. Then off he went to carry out pastoral duties. It was Sunday, after all. As often as he could, he checked the diagram, intent on noticing when any dark, round spot might enter at the lower left-hand side. We can imagine the excitement he was feeling, and especially since he was at once engaged in all the work that gave him joy and satisfaction, ministry, and astronomic observation. We can feel his joy as he expressed it in the paper he prepared as his report of this event. He wrote therein, O God, profound divine, how wisely have all your decrees arranged the purposes of their creation! You have given honor to the patron of all learning. Meanwhile, I have chosen for my theme the queen of love, veiled by the shade of Phoebe's light. He praised God for his telescope and wrote in verse, With daring gaze it penetrates the veil which shrouds the mighty ruler of the skies, and searches all his secret laws. O power alone that rivalest Promethean deeds! Lo, the sure guide to truth's ingenious sons! Wherever the zeal of youth shall scan the heavens, O may they cherish thee above the blind conceits of men, and the wild sea of error, learning the marvels of this mighty tube." On Saturday, the 23rd, he set up all his apparatus and began his observations. He predicted that the next day Venus would her transit make and cast her shadow on the wall within the diagram which he had set there, but he wanted to be sure, so he began to look the day before. Come Sunday, he would have to check the diagram between his other obligations. Horrocks tells us what he saw at last. At 3.15 that afternoon... When I again was free, my labors to continue, all the clouds, as if by some divine imposing, were entirely dispersed, and I resumed my observations. It was then that I beheld a most delightful spectacle, the object of my sanguine wishes, for a spot of no small magnitude, in shape a perfect circle, entered on the sun's disc at the left, so that the limbs of both the sun and Venus came together as they should Precisely, Knowing this spot was the shadow of the planet, I applied myself to sedulously view it. It remained in view for thirty minutes, more or less, but Horrocks marked down what he saw, then wrote, I was enabled to make all my observations, though the time was short, by providence alone, and they were so complete I scarcely could have wished a more extended time. He had arranged to have a friend named William Crabtree carry out the observation also from his home in Brockton, so that he might validate the transit from another site. And this he did. He said, in contemplation wrapped and motionless, just barely trusting my own senses through excess of joy. In his report, besides his measurements and all his viewings, Horrocks wrote these words in verse. But a sublimer throne is thine, and all ineffable awaits thy lightning's course, thou God of truth, whose certain laws direct the starry spheres, whilst all the powers above admire and tremble. The projected earth, rolling along its planetary path, hath learned to hail thy triumph, and this age enables mortal eyes and thy great works to view thee nearer, and with nobler thought to trace the stars which order proves them thine. In vain the sun his fiery steeds would urge, in vain restrain them, or attempt to guide their rapid course within the laws of fate. The earth performs their task, and by each day's revolving, saves to all the distant stars the useless labor of unceasing motion. These observations mark the apex of the scientific work of Horrocks. But he made, besides these, many lasting marks on the development of science, like a ray of sun announcing dawn's new day. He was the first one to discover the moon made an ellipse around the earth. His work led to understanding of what came to be described as gravity. Sir Isaac Newton wrote that Horrocks was most instrumental in transforming what was then called natural philosophy from mere fictitious speculation to the diligent investigation of the facts of God's creation. Horrocks' work improved our understanding of the tides, corrected astronomic tables, gave us insight into comets, and much more, and all of this while also serving God, fulfilling all his duties as a priest. He was a ray of scientific dawn and died when he was 22 years old. Visit our website, www.ilba.org, to discover the wealth of resources available to help you grow in your walk with and work for the Lord. Next in line in Volume 5, we continue listening to Patrick as he recounts how God led him to become a missionary to the ends of the earth, Ireland. Until then, for the Fellowship of Ilba and the Inverse Theology Project, this is T.M. Moore.